This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley, and today is the highest holy day on the Christian calendar, Easter. What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, and she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize His effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen. And it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? When I met Lilith, Mary, that day, I told my wife and my students I said she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. And here you are. The healer. I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. Follow me. that from The Chosen, the first ever multi-season series based on the true stories of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. I share that scene with you because A, today is Easter, and B, to set up my guest. You may have heard of In the Footsteps of Jesus, a chronicle of his life and the origins of Christianity from National Geographic. My guest today is Dr. Jean-Pierre Isbouts. He's the historian and filmmaker and the author of this book. Dr. Isbouts, welcome and happy Easter. Tell us about this work that you've done to reconstruct the path of Christ. Well, I've, I've always been very uh, fascinated, both as a historian and an archaeologist, by Jesus as, as a fully developed human being who lived and worked in Galilee in the third decade of the first century. And it's, it's sometimes difficult for us to imagine what it was like to live in those times. So I've been, I've been working on this topic for, for many, many years, and I've tried to gather uh, all sorts of documents, uh, typically documents that you would normally not think of, such as Roman documents of uh, the harvest in Egypt, uh, as well as uh, uh, the Mishnah, which is uh, the first uh, document of the Talmud. It's a collection of Jewish writings that may go back to the first century. And of course, the histories of Josephus, who's a first century historian. So when you bring that together and, and you add all the wonderful things that we've learned through archaeological discovery in the Holy Land and you bring in the geographical elements of, of life in those times, uh, you get a whole holistic view, a three-dimensional view of what it was like to live in those times, and, and that's what I tried to do in the book. In your research, you especially wanted to unearth sources that have not necessarily been investigated at great depth by your peers. Tell us why you wanted to do that and why it was so important. Well, it's because you know, the Gospels are wonderful, wonderful documents, and they're, of course, the core element of Christianity. But the Gospels were not written by people on the ground in Roman Palestine at the time. We know that the evangelists wrote throughout the Mediterranean basin. For example, Mark uh, probably worked in Rome. Uh, John may have worked in Asia Minor. We don't, we don't know for sure. 
But one thing we do know that they were not necessarily eyewitnesses on the ground, so to speak. However, they did rely on oral traditions that were circulating in the Mediterranean world for quite some time about Jesus. Uh, a full generation evolved before the first gospel was written. That's the gospel of Mark, most likely in Rome itself. So while these are terrific stories and, and the evangelists have done a wonderful job to, to knit these different oral traditions together, there's a lot that's missing about life in Galilee at this time because they weren't there. And so what I try to do is fill in those blanks by looking at biblical archaeology, by looking at documents from Roman times, uh, the Mishnah, Jewish uh, traditions, and particularly in terms of the wonderful discoveries that archaeologists have made just in the last, gee, 10, 15 years, we know so much more about the life and times of Jesus now than we did at any time in the 20th century. And, uh, and what I do is I, I go to the Holy Land at least once a year, sometimes twice a year, and I travel throughout the, the Middle East, and I try to collect uh, new insights and, and, and new discoveries that can help shed light on what it was like in those times. To give you one very, very quick example, uh, we now have uh, a synagogue uh, from the time of Jesus that's being excavated in Magdala uh, on the Sea of Galilee. This, of course, is the, the town where Mary Magdalene came from. Uh, and uh, up to this point, we always believed that there were no synagogues in Galilee uh, in the time of Jesus because there was the temple in Jerusalem. And so for the three great festivals, that's where you would go to. And on the Shabbat on Sabbath, you would simply meet at a local, you know, the central area in the village, at the village well, or at the threshing floor, and that's where you would do the readings and, and sing the hymns on, on Sabbath. There, were really, there was really no reason to have a synagogue. This discovery in Magdala has upstaged that idea completely. Now we know that not only was there a synagogue in Jesus' time in Magdala, but the synagogue also had a school, a school for young boys to learn to read Hebrew scripture, or at least either to learn by rote or to actually read Hebrew scripture. And that fills in a major mystery of how Jesus, who came from a poor family in the heart of Galilee, how he became a rabbi, a teacher, steeped in Hebrew scripture. So this is just one example of how new discoveries can, can completely revolutionize our, our thinking about uh, our Jesus and, and the time in which he lived. In your travels and doing this research, Doctor, how difficult is it to access the, the existing material that is there and then, as you have done, unearth some of these new documents, new theories that shed so much more light and paint a more complete picture of Christ? Well, there's, there's, Congress, you know, it's, it's one thing that's very fortunate is that my peers in biblical exegesis, these are people who study the text itself, uh, have done tremendous new insights in the last couple of years. You know, in the New York Times a few days ago, there was the story of fragments of the Dead Sea Scrolls that may or may not be authentic. Personally, I don't think they're necessarily authentic because it's, uh, without having the physical pieces in hand, 
it's impossible to determine whether they were uh, accurate or historical or not. But the Dead Sea Scrolls, for example, are a tremendous discovery, uh, not just for, for Judaism, but also for Christianity, because here is the Bible that Jesus knew. Uh, until the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we had no idea what that Bible looked like. And now that we have these wonderful documents and they're still being studied, of course, we know, for example, that, that the Bible that existed in Jesus' time, it only consisted of the first two divisions, the law and the prophets, the, the third division of the writings was still being developed, even though the source documents already existed. But that, that, that Bible is very similar to the Bible that we have today. Now, that's an incredible insight. You know, we, never, we, didn't, we didn't know that. And now we know that the Hebrew scripture or the Old Testament, as Christians refer to it, that Jesus uh, knew and, and cited and that the evangelists, particularly Matthew and Luke, cite extensively. Now we know that that Bible was actually pretty much the same as the Bible that, that you and I have at, at home. And, and so these are wonderful discoveries that, that keep emerging, uh, that, that ever shed more light on, on the world of, of, of Jesus. And if I can give you one other uh, example. Yes. Um, we uh, archaeologists are busy at work excavating a very exciting place. It's called Sepphoris. Uh, unfortunately, many... Uh, of the tours that go to the Holy Land. Hopefully they will resume soon after the pandemic. Uh, most tours that I know of don't go there. I don't know why. Because Sepphoris is a place where we believe that Joseph, his father, and Jesus worked in the construction of a, whole, of a brand new city ordered by the ruler of the time, which his name was Antipas, son of Herod the Great. And he ordered this, this city to be built from scratch, virtually from scratch. And it took place, it was located just five miles from a village called Nazareth. So it's inconceivable that someone who was known as a tectone, as Joseph was, a tectone means, it's often been translated as carpenter, but it actually means skilled worker. So it's, it's inconceivable that someone like Joseph and his son Jesus would not be involved in the construction of that of that beautiful city, and it explains why the Gospels are silent uh, through these critical 18 years, from age 12 to age 30. There's no 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 information about it whatsoever in the Gospels. Well, Sepphoris can fill that gap because that's where he was working all those times. Of course, compulsory labor. It was not because he wanted to. He was simply recruited to do that, and um, and so that fills that 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 whole dark period between his early years as a as a young boy and his uh, his adult years when he finally goes to John the Baptist in the Jordan. Professor, you also studied Roman tax data. What did you learn by doing that? Well, there 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 are wonderful source texts that can help us. For example, the Mishnah is a collection of stories that record the debates between various schools uh, within rabbis of the time. Now, we think that many of those discussions go back to the first century. I mean, it's a debated topic, but I, I certainly believe that 
a lot of what you read in the Mishnah, and, and these are stories of various rabbis arguing about, you know, Sabbath observance, kosher food, marriage customs, and so forth. Uh, and, and when you tra- overlay these stories on the Gospels, all of a sudden the debates with the Pharisees gain a whole new meaning. So the evangelists, who, who of course weren't aware of, of that because they were not eyewitnesses, see these, these, these debates as the Pharisees challenging Jesus, as the opposition to Jesus. That's not true. What the Pharisees did amongst themselves was having these very, very fervent and very loud debates uh, about these important topics of, of applying the Jewish law. So when you see in the Gospels the Pharisees asking Jesus about Sabbath observance, about are your apostles not fasting? Why do they pluck kernels of grain on the Sabbath? They actually want to hear his opinion because they believe his ideas have merit. They're doing with Jesus what they're doing amongst themselves. And so that changes our whole perspective of the role of the Pharisees in the story. And, and one point I make is that uh, when Jesus is in, in Galilee, there are people coming to him to say, Antipas, who previously arrested John the Baptist, is after you. You better get, get out of here because he may arrest you. Who are these people? The Pharisees. Uh, who is the, the man, Joseph of Arimathea, who gives his tomb to Jesus after crucifixion? He is a Pharisee. Who are the people who who plead for the apostles to be acquitted, which was the same thing they tried to do, to apply the Torah, the Jewish law, to the unique conditions of their time. And when you look at that, you see that the Mishnah really gets an entirely new spin on the Gospels. And, and, and that's what I try to do in this book, is really sort of flesh out a holistic impression of what life was like for Jesus in the first century. The book is filled with a tremendous amount of visual evidence. Why was that important? Oh, because, you know, it's, uh, first of all, half of the pictures are mine, I must confess, uh, because it's such a beautiful land, you know. Uh, I'm sure many of your listeners who've been to Israel and Jordan will agree with me. It's, it's so beautiful, that land. And while Judea, or what is today the heartland of Israel, is very much developed, uh, with, with uh, you know, new train connections and high-rises and all that. I must credit the Israeli government for one thing, and that is they kept Galilee pristine. No high-rises, not allowed, no big hotels. There are no um, uh, telephone poles and, and electricity wiring. Uh, it's, it's, you, you go through Galilee, along the Sea of Galilee, and you go through these towns that are being excavated right now, and you can really feel yourself in the time of Jesus. You know, when you stand at, at the Sea of Galilee, as I often do, and you see that water uh, lapping at your feet, you really feel you're there. And, and that's what I try to capture. So there's a tremendous amount of pictures, uh, some, of course, from various archives, but most of the pictures of Galilee I took myself. I always take my Nikon along and, and, and just sort of, for, for your listeners, try to capture what it was like to walk with Jesus, uh, and that's why we settled on that title, in the footsteps of Jesus. If you really want to give the reader 
the sense that, that, that he or she is walking with Jesus through that beautiful land. The book offers a fresh and often moving encounter with a fully realized human being that you've described, a social and spiritual activist whose message still resonates with the great issues that confront us today. Does that surprise you at all? Well, it, it did originally uh, because uh, when I started my research, I wasn't aware, for example, that uh, the time in, during the period immediately preceding the ministry was a time of tremendous socioeconomic upheaval in Galilee. You know, from paintings, I, you have this impression that, oh, Galilee was a peaceful land, you know, rolling hills and beautiful orchards. It was not. There were two major peasant revolts in Galilee uh, just in the first 10 years of Jesus' life which must have marked him tremendously. Nazareth must have been destroyed. The fields, the livestock all around this area must have been destroyed when the Roman forces came in, not once, but twice, to suppress these revolts. And it was because the the Herodian dynasty mercilessly exploited these peasants in Galilee in order to finance their projects further down south in Judea. And that explains why the pages of the Gospels are filled with people who are dispossessed, who are hungry, who are ill, who have no clothing, who have nowhere to go, no home. And I wondered, what the heck, where did that come from? Galilee is the most fertile region in all of the Middle East. Why are there so many people who are poor and dispossessed? And the answer was the Herodian the vicious Herodian uh, regime that exploited these people and the terrible destruction that their two revolts uh, brought about. And I think that informs his ministry, that that not only informs, but also shapes his ministry, his idea of creating a new society, a society based on justice, on compassion, on agape. It was all informed by those terrible uh, developments uh, that took place just in the years of his early childhood and uh, adolescence. I know you've got a heart out here in a couple of minutes, something I did want to ask you about, and it's something that I'd never heard or studied, that Christ counted women among his apostles. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you found? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that, Congress, because I find that fascinating. You know, when you go to Roman or Greek or Persian the records, uh, there are lots of sages and philosophers, but you don't see girls going to class with these people. You know, there were not a lot of men, women in the orbit of Socrates or Plato. And here you have Jesus, and he, he welcomes women into his movement. Uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary and Martha, that beautiful story uh, in Bethany. And, and I think that sets him apart, that he really not only respects women, but respects them as disciples, as people who he can teach, who can carry forth his teachings. And and that's something that that is totally unique in the ancient world and in the Jewish tradition. And, of course, in Hebrew scripture, we, we learn about very heroic women, but Jesus really identifies them as disciples. And, and, and that is such a wonderful story that can resonate with our own time. Last question, and I let you go. Biggest takeaway for readers. That Jesus was such an inspirational figure who can still inspire us today, whether you are Jewish or Christian or simply interested 
in the Bible as, a, as an ethical or moral compass. The, the teachings of Jesus of the new kingdom are so important, particularly in this time of pandemic when so many people are out of work, are ill, are dispossessed, are bereft. His teachings and his world is more relevant to us today than ever before. Dr. Jean-Pierre Isbouts, happy Easter. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much, Condor. Happy Easter. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condis Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.